Welcome to The Highway to Well with Derek Bell. Today we're talking with Sarah Martin, Executive Director of the Wellness Councils of America. Organizations today are in transition and the need to focus on employee well-being has never been greater. Sarah and I will talk about how we can start at baseline and infuse organizations with wellness into their very fabric. We also talk about individual well-being and how we can live better and thrive through connection, resiliency, and exploring our adventurous selves. Thank you again for listening. Let's get on the highway to well. Welcome back to the Highway to Well. Today we're talking with Sarah Martin, the Chief Executive Director of the Wellness Councils of America. Now, while COA helps the nation's employers build results-oriented workplace wellness programs, however, I will say that from Sarah's time there, and, and especially since she's become the Executive Director here this year, what we've learned and what we already knew, but we're learning more deeply, is that she's an empathetic, thoughtful, and caring leader that is willing to share and open the conversation for us to have ideas that have been maybe sitting on the top of our heaps wanting to be discussed, but she's openly allowing us to have these conversations out in the field. So I'm fortunate to get the chance to talk to her today and hope that um, we'll drive through the many pathways to well-being, but ultimately just share where we think we are. So thank you, Sarah, for joining me today on the Highway to Well. It's so good to be here, Derek. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, I want to start with a little something I heard in, in through your Idea Collective and, and something I think you use frequently, but I'm going to ask you three questions to get us started here. I want to know, how's your head? How's your heart? And how's your health? Yeah, so we, we do. We ask those questions, um, not every single team meeting, but anytime we're feeling like we just need to check in, it's a good uh, people don't always answer the question, how are you, uh, authentically, but they'll answer it. You have to really think about to answer those questions. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you asking me. Um, my head is, and sometimes we just rank them. I'm about at a, I think I'm about at an eight. Earlier this week, I, um, out of 10, uh, earlier this week, I was finding myself waking up in the middle of the night very frequently. And I do this when I'm, my head's really busy. And it's like this idea of like, you pack all this information into your head all day and not until you shut down and sleep, does it all, all the connections form. And so I wake up at like 3am with connections all of a sudden, and then I have to like wake up and take an hour and a half of notes. Yeah. And that's how I know I'm maybe overdoing it. Right. Cause I'm not processing during the week. So I took some time to really get everything out of my head midweek and I've slept better, which makes me feel a lot more solid. So head on the up is an eight. Um, Heart is, is, has been heavy, um, as many people have been uh, for a long time now. I think I'm, I'm just consistently disappointed with the lack of humanity in so many of the important conversations that are being had right now about, um, about racial injustice in our country, about you know even um, organizations and, and the concessions that they're willing to make for employee health. Um, to, to get back to business. And I, I worry about what that's, I know the organizations that, that don't play this right are going to lose um, the engagement game. Whenever we can choose again who to work for, I, I think that there's going to be a problem there. But for now, it just looks like injustice and makes me, my heart heavy. Um, you know, I think and then the only thing that I really like can bounce back with is just staying really connected with people. So I'm trying to do more of that and, um, and my dog, I have a great Dane. He's like 130 some odd pounds and just pure love, <laughs> just love. So he helps my heart a Excellent. lot. So that's good. Health is great. Um, I've tried to get back into exercising this week. I, I got off the wagon. I was just doing yoga. And this week I did a really long leg workout. So I'm feeling the hurt today. All right. Um, but uh, health is really good. So very grateful for that. How about you? Can I ask you the same question? <laughs> oh, man, I, I don't I wasn't prepared to answer this myself. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. My head, yeah, I think is 
I feel like um, it, there's this really incredible experience going on, I think, for all of us that are in wellness that it really is exciting. And so our heads are full. And like you, like I wake up often in the middle of the night and, and just lay there and think about conversations or things that I heard throughout the day. And, and we're finding inroads into places that were normally shut off from us or we had limited capacity. So, you know, in most organizations, especially uh, the one that I work for is wellness has become a really important part of what we're trying to do, which is really incredible because normally we're used to wellness being a program or something that's housed under HR and that's really not to the benefit of anyone. So we're used to that checklist oriented environment for well-being. And that's just not what any of us, especially those of us who spend our lifetime thinking and talking about this, like that's not where we want to be. We understand that it has to be part of that cultural fabric. And I feel like we're, we're starting to have those conversations that make me believe we're, we're capable of getting there, but I'm not sure we're going to get there. So I still, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about the future, but I, I like the things that we're talking about and, and participating in things like your idea collective, where you're hearing and seeing like all these connections that are coming together. And, and there's, there is a, there's definitely a different conversation we're having about social and moral determinants of health and the impact of our environment. And so those are really comfortable conversations for us, but they're becoming more comfortable for other people. And that's where I think we're starting to get somewhere. So my head is in a good place. Um, And like you, my heart kind of bounces and I spend a lot of time feeling exhausted and drained and stressed about the the daily expectations to get through this COVID environment and working from home and having kids at home. And um, I also, I'm also a high school sports coach in my other life. And our season got moved from our normal fall to the spring. So there's this complete disruption of life that is completely understandable, but it does weigh on your on your heart a lot. Like all of these expectations are sitting there and you, like you said, you know, you worry about the way that um, the, the employee environment, the organizational environment is reacting a lot to this. And I think you, you said something that I made a note about that. I think it was Maggie Goff a few, I had her on a podcast a few months ago. We talked about this, that the first question any prospective employee should ask when they go in an interview is how did you treat your employees during COVID? because that will tell you everything you need to know about the culture and the expectations of that company. So they may not be where you want them to be yet, but you know, if they are working hard to care for their employees, you might have some space in there to get something accomplished. So for me, I see that too. And I have friends that are in, across the world and family members that are in different, different, um, I, I don't, I don't want to say in bad, you know, in something that's bad or negative, but I mean, it's also, they're dealing with a lot in their own work environments and then you see it and then, you know, you feel a bit fortunate that your work is being explored by others. So that's great. But the cost of all of this, I do worry about is did it take COVID and social injustice and the, uh, an incredibly complicated and reckless presidential race for us to finally talk about wellness. (laughs) The cost of that really bothers me. And so I think about that. So my heart, I'd leave it about a five to six (laughs) and keep it there. So it goes up to a 10 sometimes during the day that it drops back to a two and just in, in it flips, um, my health. So I've been, I'm, um, I spend a lot of time exercising because I long time ago made sure that that, that was something that's a priority in my life. And so that, that's something that I, keep a deep connection to because I understand the mental implications of that. So for me, it's been, that's been one area that I've really enjoyed during this time of year when the weather's beautiful and it gives me a chance to go out on a trail and go run and throw on some music that I haven't listened to in a while, or just dive deep into some, something that I want to listen to while I'm exercising or um, working, working in at the gym I go to as a small gym and so I get to see a few people during the week that I can make those social connections to. So that part I'm feeling pretty good about. So 
I feel like that that's one area that I'm I have less concern today than in some of the other areas. But thank you for asking. You know, and I I talked with um, Marissa Kaufman too recently here, and so and she's the executive director for the Wellness Council of Wisconsin, and we were talking about so one of the things that we you you kind of mentioned this earlier, but one of the things we talked about is that question of how are you doing and how how we feel when we respond to it. Cause a lot of people just say good and they'll bypass the honesty of what they're really feeling. And that doesn't really help us develop a connection or get into a conversation that we maybe should be having. But we also then are allowing this like toxic positivity to spread where we're not addressing the key issues that we need to be really looking at. So that was something that I know we've talked about. So I, I think you're correct. Like if you just ask someone, how are you doing? You're not going to get a real answer, especially in today's world. But if you ask, how's your head? How's your heart? How's your health? Now you're going to start to dig in a little and you're going to find out a lot of things about people that maybe they just didn't know they needed to talk about. I love it. And I think a lot of people hear their own experience in your description of all three. You know, I think, you know, and for those folks who've done a better job than me, including you, um, of, of staying tied to a physical activity routine for the exact reason you described, they're probably really resonating and maybe didn't even realize until just now, oh, maybe that is one of the reasons I'm actually doing okay, you know? Um, yeah. and, and I think that that's an important reminder. Um, it's something that you, I know you've talked about a lot. You've written for Walcoa some sure. um, about that very connection and, and, and having a bigger reason for staying active beyond just any physical um, impact. So I think that that's a good reminder. And I have to, I can't get too far away from what you said without saying that you interview some bomb women <laughs> on your podcast. Maggie Goff is like a, like a cosmic wizard. She's, yeah. She's, she's I, I, rock from the heavens down to help us all. She really is. And then Marissa has just been the most poised, graceful presence mm-hmm. leader at, at the wellness council council, Wisconsin, um, that I, I know she's been amazing to work with. So that's great. Yeah. Well, and they also, I know Rachel Druckenmiller is also another one of those strong women in our field that, um, she was on, it was a little bit, almost a year ago, right, when she was launching her business. So we, we talked a lot about the fear and anxiety of going out on your own. And, and then I've been staying in touch with her a bit here, um, checking in on her as her business has been growing during COVID. Cause you know, last fall maybe seemed like a great time and then COVID hit. And I know we've talked about those, those people that are building these, these ideas and are kind of um, in a position where companies are struggling to determine how they're going to pay for it. And yet we all know how critically important these conversations and for people like Rachel and Maggie to be the leaders in those areas is so significant today. Yeah. And you yourself, I, I want to, I want to talk about the idea collective some, I want to talk about the, when the, the drive to get this going, I, um, I've been in the field for over 20 years and this has been one of the most phenomenal things that I've attended on a regular basis or even attended as a one-time basis. Um, but just the, the presenters, the quality of the people you brought in and the way in which we're going through topics and having these discussions and allowing them to talk about their views on things um, has really been, uh, it's anchored me over the past couple months in, in the work that I'm doing and it's been significant. So I want to give you a chance to talk about how that started and then what, what you want to see as it, as I believe, what we, are we over halfway through this series now? Next week is the last yeah. week. Yeah. So we're getting towards the end here. And so what, what's next? Where are we going to go on our journeys with this? Well, I'm so happy to hear that you have uh, got, gathered some value from it. That makes me very happy. Our vision for Wellcoa Connect in general and Idea Collective is is one of the classes within that series that we're standing up right now was to double down on what we already were hearing from our members that they needed more of. And we wanted to do this. We were actually going to kick it off next year with our summit being canceled, obviously. Um, We're like, how can we deliver that same value and its connection? I mean, we are 
we hear over and over again that what our members want more than anything is to have conversations with other people um, that are raw conversations and real honest conversations about what they're really struggling with. Because they know as they're sitting by themselves at their desk in their small HR department or team, that the problem that they're grappling with, someone's already solved somewhere. And they just, but they don't have access to those people or those ideas. And I think that even, gosh, even before this isolation that we're all experiencing now through quarantine, um, they were, this industry was already feeling very isolated because, you know, they're usually, unless you have more than a thousand employees, there's pretty much just one person thinking about wellness in that organization. And they're constantly having to show the value of their work, why they should keep getting invested in by leadership trying to show some sort of return because that's still somehow the narrative that we have to grapple with. Um, I'd love to put that to bed, but um, we can talk about that later. Um, so we said, okay, we know that our members are looking for ways to connect with each other. And we also know that one of the things that Wellco is really good at is exactly what you said, Derek, is bringing like those top experts to our members. But we've done it so far in ways that aren't super personal, right? Like you, you could come to Wellcoa and hear a really well curated agenda at our summit of keynotes from all these folks. But you could also probably go to YouTube and watch those keynotes or go to their website on a TEDx. What can you get from Wellcoa as a member through this experience that you couldn't get anywhere else? What can we deliver really well on besides just connecting people to each other? And we were like, what if we host more like, and can you drill down into it? Like, and we create, forget, you know, biometrics, forget, you know, the medicalized model. People are suffering. I'm angry about it. And here's five ways that you can reduce suffering in your organization, you know, and, and can we just have a conversation about that? Um, and so I think that um, that was what we really wanted to create. And I think our vision going forward is to keep even in smaller group sessions, connecting people to these experts and to each other in ways that are, you know, no one, no one leaves an organization or a membership organization like Walcoa um, um, saying, I'm going to really miss being a card carrying member of this organization, but they might, but they might stick around and be invested in, in if they feel like that it's a community. And that's what we're trying to do. It's like, are we really delivering value if we're not creating community, in, especially now? And I think we had to get honest with ourselves and say, the value is, of course, the information, but even more, the value is like humanizing the information and connecting you to each other and to these ideas in a different kind of way. Yeah, I think it mimics perfectly where I feel like these conversations, they're indicative of where we want the field to go. And what I mean by that is this is something that I think came out of the last idea collective session that I was listening to. And we've, for years, have built our template on a program-based model. So if you want some wellness services, you would pay for a program. You may have like an ongoing relationship where your wellness consultant is at your site for hours a month doing programs. And that has... We've been... We've welcomed that because it's kind of been a foot in the door. And, and so we've unapologetically accepted the economic model and that has forced us to think about wellness in a program and it's kind of create this box that we've been living in for quite some time and then we've noticed and it's one of those instances to go deep into what COVID did expose so COVID exposed that while there are great things that people have done and while programs do serve people in some capacity the impersonalized approach, even though some of this may involve some one-on-one -on -one coaching, I mean, the big picture is usually pretty impersonal. And we haven't really grown the individual. And, and we haven't really stretched that acceptance of wellness as a part of your life in, in, in a more deeply entrenched way. And then you know, we learned from like Vic Strecker, you know, and Sean Foy talk about their whys and their purpose. And we all hear that and we go, yes, well, that's I mean, that's what we've been thinking and saying and feeling forever. So how do we get there? And 
in this approach of bringing us all together and, and talking about wellness and then positioning the all the different things that we're doing or all the different ideas we have about where to go and and start to start to align those with where we want the field to go is so important because we're looking for that leadership and you're providing that leadership opportunity for all of us in a nice in a way that invites our our ideas to the conversation i think that's also been an approach that hasn't worked in the past where it's been the top down or HR-led model. And so wellness kind of gets co-opted or used differently than the way that we wanted it to be talked about. And now we're in these positions where, especially when you start talking about mental and emotional health, like for the most part at a company level, that was something that EAP handled. And if EAP is handling it, it's in deep crisis mode. So we've, we've allowed something to get so bad that is now we need a counselor, a skilled counselor to get us out of our thickets. And so, and all of us understand and appreciate and love what EAP is for the employee population. At the same time, EAP serves about five to 6% of an employee population on a good day. (laughs) And so we're looking at where are we, because we've had these conversations about mental and emotional well-being for ages. That was in the seventies at the beginning stages of the wellness field and in the wellness conference, there was a lot of us finding our purpose and meaning and our and our emotional and social well-being. And, and we kind of got derailed into the work site where we we're talking about risk management and, and risk reduction and mitigation and tying everything to an ROI that's tied directly to a medical cost. Well, we've learned that that's, that approach can do some things, but that's missing the point of wellness. It's just completely missing the point of wellness. And no one gets excited to talk about cholesterol. But they may get excited to talk about the trip that they want to take next summer and, and canoe and portage through six lakes, you know, or wherever, whatever your adventurous life is asking you to do. And that in doing that and preparing for that, it very well might solve some of those cholesterol issues or the or some other um, health related issues. And we've tied those together. And, and those are things that we've all talked and, and learned greatly over the past few years and research continues to show that purpose and meaning and optimism are all really, really fruitful ventures for us to spend some time thinking about and doing. And so that part of this collective movement that you're producing here, I think is, is really where I hope it pays the dividends of us sharing is, is to see these changes and for us to move our mental, social, emotional well-being out of EAP into the entire fabric of all of our organizations. So those are key things that I, I keep, that's what keeps me up at night when I think about it. I'm like, oh yeah, we did talk about that. That's really great. <laughs> I should go to my EAP director tomorrow and let's talk about expanding our program or renaming it to mental well-being. Just some simple tactical approaches that can change the conversation and reframe it and, and align it better to what we want. We heard from, just like you said, decentralizing the thought leadership from the top down and really letting other people share. We heard in a fireside chat session after one of our idea collective sessions a couple of weeks ago, in the idea just like that, they were having some engagement issues with their EAP and um, it's a construction company. So mm-hmm. stigma, the, predominantly men, and they didn't want to talk about mental health so they rebranded it to not even be about mental health at all. I can't remember what it was about. Something like living your best life or something like that. Sure. Or building your best life. And, and it was all a mental health thing, though. It was all EAP, uh, you know, educational, what's available and different kinds of things that they were doing for their, their employees, helping them understand how they could get the help they needed. But, um, but everyone was like, oh, brilliant. I was having the same problem, you know. Um, <laughs> and, we, and we love those, those moments. But it's interesting, as you were talking, the thing I was thinking about is, I still think that, you know, just like getting people to exercise and getting people to eat a high fiber, low fat diet and getting people to, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, reduce their, their cholesterol or, or manage their or reduce their BMI or all of those things that we're asking employees to do or have been asking employees to do. I also think like, purpose and optimism and, um, and, and all of the things that were, even though they're better, um, we're turning our attention to these other kinds of things now, but 
there, and it's better and it's more meaningful and it's more human, but I think it's still the top of the pyramid. Like an organization that's already doing a lot of other things well can, I think, start to dream about what would it be, what would it look like if our, if we helped our employees find more purpose or what would it look like if we helped our employees be more mindful or what would it look like if, or innovation or creativity or anything like that. But my experience with wellness because I was never really interested in, in, in wellness as much as I was interested in work. So, uh, and my fear from a young, being a young kid was that work would ruin me. Like it ruined my dad, like it ruined my mom, like it ruined so many other people in my life. And so I got into this thing thinking that I was going to help change work to make it hurt people less. And I realized when I got here that that is really actually not what this industry was stood up to do initially. I think our founder at Walcoa did think about it that way, but he predated, he's 35 years ago when he founded Walcoa, he predated this medicalized model conversation, conversation that you just described. So, you know, to me, we're spending a lot of time thinking about how to maximize well-being for employees when the vast majority of organizations haven't even the approached what does first do no harm look like, you know? Um, and, and that's what kind of keeps, that's why I think some of these raw conversations are really important. Like can an organization just have the agency to say, wow, we're overworking our people. What do we do about that? Or wow, our health plan is not affordable. People aren't leveraging it. Can we pick a better health plan? But so many organizations don't, I feel like you talk to their leaders and they don't have the agency. They're like, yeah, people are overworking, but there's really nothing we can do to restructure the week. Or yeah, our health plan kind of sucks, but we've been working with the same broker for 20 years. I mean, you know, so I would love to, to get to baseline, which is just the organizations are, like you said, we've built well-being into the way we operate. And then we can get back to programs if we want to. You know, I can still would love a great, cool, like mindfulness room or meditation room or all those perks that we want. I think they can still be there, but I'm less excited about them still and more like bleeding hard about like just making work more human, making um, it more people solution. I love that you brought that up. I think, and it, I don't know if it may be, I don't want to ask this, but I wonder if it could be something that is maybe a generational thing too, or we, we were raised by parents who didn't necessarily like their jobs for the most part. And, you know, my father, my father didn't like his job. So he got involved in the, as a volunteer police officer. And I think really that's kind of what he wanted to do, but it was so far into his career that he didn't want to switch because of economic stability. And then I also, then my mother returned to work after having both myself and my brother and there too, she had to return to work for the economic viability of our family. And also, and I had two parents who really didn't care much about their work. Now, I do remember how much they loved the people they work with. And that's why I got into this field was the relationships and the connectedness is always more important than the actual work. And I'm willing to do anything for anyone if I feel like I'm you're with me and we have each other's back and we're part of a team. And that's the those are the elements like to get to the point that you're talking about that are part of wellness. Like when we talk about wellness, that's what we're talking about. And most companies don't see it that way. They're looking at it from the program point of view. And it's our job to, to distill, like you said, get to the baseline and talk about, and, and a lot of this is, I think Jason's presentation last week was talking about overlapping and some things, what are you already doing and where could you implement some ideas that change the way you're doing it to bring people together more often and, and in better ways because ultimately that's what we remember most. And that those are the things that get us through each day. And, you know, in, in talking again about something Maggie brought up a, a few months ago too, is when we have those connected moments with others, we also start to develop our little micro moments of wellness. And if we can do that and build on the connections and have micro moments, those micro moments get us through. And if we string those together enough, they get us through these difficult times. And then organizations can also look at what are they doing to provide the skill set development. And, you know, all these things that are not normally part of our traditional wellness functions, but by all means, they make us happier, better employees. And that's what we should be doing. Absolutely. And the, we, I, we, I had interviewed um, Michael Susi. He's the global 
well-being director over at LinkedIn. And yeah. I think he was the first and only, I think he's been the LinkedIn wellness guy from the beginning of LinkedIn. <laughs> Have you met Michael or you talked to him? No, I know, I know who about him, but I haven't talked to him yet. He was saying that at LinkedIn, um, they ask employees to be your own scientist um, in terms of your wellness. So they say, what you just said reminded me, they say things like, you know, if I make a tweak to my diet or my exercise routine or a meditation practice, like how does that make me feel better or worse? And then, you know, can I tweak my routine in accordance with that? Be my own scientist, conduct my own experiment. And I was thinking about that, like drastically contrasting that, drastically contrasting that with, with how the majority of wellness programs work, where we set the targets for employees. Right. Um, and, and when you said skill building, that's what made me think of it. Cause it, it, to me, if we want to talk about, if we actually do want to talk about like traditional wellness, we want to talk about exercise and, and diet, those things actually really do matter at the very minimum to your point, um, just competency build for those things. Instead of setting the target, external recommendations, external rewards, just fly in the face of being our own scientists, listening to our own body. And, and so it's like the organization set these weird targets and then, but didn't build any skill skills for them or change the environment to make them easier to achieve. So it's like, you got it. You got to have an employee. Her name is Chinello Chukwamaka. Uh, she's from, Nigeria and she's always um we just love her because she's very quiet all the time but when she speaks she always has these little funny one-liners of wit and her big thing is always you got it on backwards every time you get it <laughs> backwards that's what I was chuckling thinking about her she, she would say you got it on backwards like don't set the target and then give them no skills build for skills and let them set their own target yeah that's so brilliant I mean that's and there's two things there. There's the one is in order for us to succeed at any level, we have to build that self-efficacy and, and the autonomy to make those choices. We all know that. I mean, and how we get there is really up to several different methods of behavior change or whatever that you want to ascribe to. And, but you get to that other point about the environment and are we, are we in environments that are killing our ability to do that or supporting that? And it's, you know, and it's the most obvious example sometimes is just thinking about, you know, I ran a kids wellness program in the school district a few years ago for like second, third and fourth graders. And it was sort of for some of these kids, it was the first time that they really eaten cauliflower or they are eaten broccoli and, and they loved it. They loved feeling like they were doing something great and learning. And we, we did an eight week program and we worked with them and, and we gave them some pre and post assessments that let us know that they had learned some things along the way. And then we took about a three month break and then we met them again in the spring. And it was really sad when we met again. And it was one of those indicators that we had, we knew in our, in our group of people who were doing the research on, we talked about the environment, the home environment. So while we built the skills in these kids in this controlled environment, we released them back to a poor environment. So when we look at our work environment, then we, if we're doing these things to build the skills, are we helping people translate that to their home environment too? And does their home environment also support these mechanisms? That's such a critical part of this entire process for us that um, that I think we can continue to have those conversations is how do we help people build the environment to succeed? And I know, you know, those are something that, that's really in tune with behavior change models is to ask yourself about that environment and whether you come from a socio-ecological mindset of how this all fits together, or I think it was Laura Putnam that also brought up a model that had similar, you know, the self to the community, to the team. And, you know, we look at these entire pieces and those are really the challenges that we're facing is to build people that can survive and thrive in an environment at work. And then also at home or in their other, through different ways through their life outside of work too. You know, and Laura um, and I were talking to your exact point about um, what she was calling an oasis of, of well-being where, you know, can you create this kind of microcosm for wellness in your organization that is protective against everything else that's going on? 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and there are organizations that she's worked with that have been able to do that. And I think we all have examples of those, but to your point about the power of, of the environment, you know, the converse of that or the inverse of that is that people can be as well as they choose to be, as they have the skills to be in their own lives outside of work. But because to your, your point about the, the, the children's program, you know, if those children were spending the majority of their time with you for that short program, but then the majority of their time was obviously to have very different constraints. Mm-hmm. Work, we're at work 8.7 hours a day on average as Americans, 90,000 hours of our life. Um, by the way, it's 80,000 for Europeans. It's very interesting. <laughs> um, and it's like, that is the biggest part of our pie is, is work. So conversely, if, if, if we don't have this, if we don't have a great environment at work, then that's going to fly in the face of all of the other skills that we've created for ourselves to make our lives healthy outside of work, because we only spend maybe seven hours sleeping, two hours with our spouse, maybe if we're lucky, half hour exercising, and then we're in bed, you know, we're, that's it. That's our day. <laughs> so, binge watching something late at night to just ease our mind and put ourselves to sleep so we can wake up at 3 a.m. to take notes. <laughs> exactly. Distract my brain, trick myself into going to sleep until I'm awoken with, yes, the exactly. running dialogue. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so what I do want to ask as, as this collective movement continues to go, what, what are your th- what are you thinking or what are the plans for the future? I know you mentioned earlier and I forgot to mention at the beginning about Waco also having one of the premier wellness conferences in the country. So hopefully by next year, that'll be on again and live and in person, but in the, in between now and, and then what are you as a part of, you talked about the Waco connect, what are other opportunities that you're providing wellness professionals to connect? Yeah. Glad you asked. So we do see Wilcoa Connect as something that extends into 2021 and beyond. Even it does not replace the conference. So if and hopefully when we're all back together again, face to face next year, um, which will be in San Diego in August, um, we hope um, yeah. we'll still have Wilcoa Connect and we'll be able to bring people who've been connecting virtually throughout the year together, hopefully face to face. And we'll be doing some special receptions and those kinds of things for our Connect folks. But what we see as the other type of class that we're going to offer, and we'll do another idea collective in the first quarter of next year as well. Um, but for, for um, the rest of 2020, we have two different, well, actually have three different, one of them's closed now, but two different, it's still available opportunities for um, connecting through what we're calling Walcoa inner circles. And the idea with the inner circles is these are very topic based. So um, we actually have um, for the fall, we have an inner circle on, um, on resiliency and burnout prevention and an inner circle on measuring well-being. And so these are small group, only 100 people per session. One of them, the burnout and resilience one is being led by Stella Grisant, um, who, who founded the Work Happy Method. And then Mari Ryan is going to be leading our measuring well-being. Um, and... So what they're going to be doing is taking that 100 people and over six weeks showing up every week, it's a Zoom meeting. Everyone's cameras are on. It's small, it's intimate. They're doing breakout rooms. Those um, leaders are going from breakout room to breakout room, facilitating small group conversation. And there's a task every week. Go try this thing in your organization this week. Come back. Tell me how it went. Let's figure out what went wrong, what went well. Let's learn from each other. And then let's keep rolling. So the idea there is instead of like the drive-by information like barrage that you get from a summit and it's like, good luck. And everyone goes home and tries to make something of what they learned. We're, we're, we're kind of trying to create these like networks, but also a different way of learning with each other. And the, the goal is then for those kinds of things is that we would have like, there's never going to be another 2020 Wilcoa Inner Circle on resilience and burnout. We could have future inner circles on those topics, but this is class one, you know, and, um, and they would always be connected with each other and continue to be connected with each other after the, the series concludes. And that these folks would then have their own thought leadership that they'd be able to demonstrate through that. So they're probably going to author some new ideas, some new resources, 
Maybe they'll, maybe they'll write a manifesto. Who knows what will come out of those six weeks. But those, those are always going to live forever on Wilcoa Resources Center. And they're going to be authored by the 2020 Wilcoa Inner Circle on Burnout and Resilience with everyone's name. So it's like, let's keep this idea. Let's double down on this idea of, of raising new experts up and connecting people with each other for idea sharing and progress, we hope. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And like I said, I've, um, and I, I, in my previous life, I also directed and ran the National Wellness Conference. So I've been in part of these, these summit environments for ages. And I, I do say, you know, these few weeks with the Idea Collective have been some of the most inspiring um, because I think you, you're having the conversations we need. And those are, that's the first step. Like you're connecting people emotionally and, and mentally and where they feel like they are. So that is a credit to your strategy and ideas about what, what would people want to talk about? But also the, the people that are coming in are bringing so many different perspectives and yet they're bound by a common thread too. So it doesn't feel like something's just an offshoot or, and sometimes you get that when you go to a summit, there's a program you, you think will is great and you go and you listen to it and you're like, it doesn't really, it doesn't have much to do with anything that I need right now. And that's not the case in, in this situation. I think we're all too, I think, and it could be that it's the COVID kind of fingerprint influence, but I think we're all struggling to determine, you know, what, what is relevant today? You know, what worked a year ago isn't working now. So what is the relevance of what we can do today? So we want to hear from people who are in the trenches building things today to help us think about ideas for our own work sites, but also what I've met, what I've felt too is not only is this for the professional and, the, and the, you know our organizational life and thinking about our work as our export, but also there's a lot of me importing my own personal wellness through these too. Like listening to a lot of the people talk, there's an authentic way that we're having these discussions that are really important personally. I think all of us too in wellness, we want to avoid our own personal burnout. So we'd love to be rejuvenated by listening to the ideas of what others are sharing. And so that's been one of those really critical pieces. And then ultimately we tie that back to value systems and what do we, what is it that we want to value? And, and I think this, we're in this collective um, anxiety that we're all kind of going through this collective anxiety and we're trying to find a collective empowerment to get out of it. And so this entire process has been part of that. So I want to, you know, applaud well call for that. But also as we, as we get wrap up here, I want to throw out, you know, what, so what, where do we need to go next? And I mean that on a, on a not just an organizational level, but like as, as individuals getting through our day to day, and the toxic environment that we're living in right now and the complexity of COVID and fear and safety double down on all of these feelings. So you as a person and as a leader, where, where do we need, what, what should we be doing to make ourselves get through this in a better way, more intact and ready to thrive? Mm. <laughs> We've <We've> been... <laughs> Big question. I know I <laughs> threw one out there for you. It's good timing that you ask because, you know, it's a lot easier for, you know, all the calls to action that typically consume my mind are either for organizations to change, focus on basic human needs, you know, stop doing the things that are harmful, things you've not been talking about today. And then the other, the other big call to action that's always top of mind for me, neither of these answer your question, by the way, I'm aware of that is um, asking employees to not lower the bar. Like don't, don't stand for an organization that's not going to treat you like a human ask for wellness. And if we can keep making wellness something that employees want to consume, we can create more demand, which is ultimately going to be where the value proposition should live. The CFO might not sit up straight and write a check anymore because we're reducing healthcare dollar spending. That's an old story. We can put it to bed but they might sit up straight and write a check if they're losing their best talent to competitors who do treat employees like humans. So can we, can we, you know, demand it? But I think for us as individuals to get through this and what we're kind of obsessed with right now at Walcoa, and we've had so many questions that we've asked each other as a team about this is how do you maintain resilience? And it's two part. It's, um, it's how can we as an organization 
help our employees maintain their resilience? And then what can, I think your question to me was, what can we do as individuals to survive this thing? Um, and it has to be collaborative for those of us who are employed. Um, so what we did at Walcoa, even so it was three weeks ago, I was feeling really burdened and I just showed up to a Monday team meeting and I said, guys, I've never felt less resilient in my entire life. Like I just told a close friend of mine, if you know me for another 30 years, you may never see me this, this burnout ever again, because I've never been this burnout um, before today. And I've gone through some stuff, you know, but th- that hasn't taken me down. This has taken me down, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so I'm like, how are you guys feeling? Everyone's like, yeah, a little taken down. So we, um, we did a survey, just two questions. Um, what, what does our team already do? at Walcoa to help you maintain or build your resilience? And then what do we do not very well at all? What are your big concerns? What's causing you some heartburn? And it was anonymous. Everyone responded. One person did a monologue. He's like, I'm not going to answer that. I'm just going to tell you right now. It's great. Here's this. Here's something we can do better. I'm not going to fill out the survey. I was like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, like, um, what we learned was that people overall, as long as they were feeling connected with each other and like our team was a family, they were good. They said, no one on this, in this team ever turns on each other. If we were turning on each other during these times of stress, it would take me down, but I'm feeling super solid because I know my team has me. They have my back. So like number one is find your people and don't be and, and unapologetically ask for what you need from them, whether it be your team or your family or friends or, or whatever. I live in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm a recent divorcee. My entire family of origin lives in Alabama. I don't have family here. Mm-hmm. And that can be really hard. And I've had to get my team is pretty much like my family. And then also I have a small group of friends and that's really it. And now it's COVID. So I haven't been able to see any people. <laughs> So it's like, I just have to be unapologetic and be like, hey, I need to meet you for a Zoom call and we're going to drink wine and paint. And that's what we're going to do for the next hour and a half and try to just do different things like that. So that's number one, unapologetically just uh, stay connected because that was the thing that I heard from both myself, my own experience and my team that was making a difference in getting through this thing. And then the other thing um, that I heard um, was just the the work-life balance piece. What it feels like to me is that we all quite righteously when we first started those of us who have been working either remotely or otherwise solid through this whole time, you know, um, for those of us who are fortunate enough to keep our jobs have been in some sort of trench, either emotional or physical or both. So we have the healthcare workers who obviously kept their jobs, but their jobs looked very different. And there was probably a short time when, you know, um, when work didn't look like suffering, even though there was so much of it to do, because we were all like, okay, we're going to get through this together. I see the purpose here. My job has purpose for the Wellness Council of America. Obviously, we were like, okay, we need to scramble to put out brand new kinds of resources. We're a part of the problem. Or we're part of the solution for people. They're coming to us with their problems. We can bring them solutions. And we were like working 60, 70 hours a week, and we were loving it. And it was energetic. and It was whatever. And then, then we realized, oh, we haven't slowed down at all. We're still doing it. And, and that's not sustainable. So I think it's kind of taking a step back and saying, were the ways that we were scrambling to survive? Are those, do they have any long-term sustainability? And, 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 and asking ourselves if, if we can lower, um, pull back the work, knowing that, that some, you know, I think Maggie Goff probably has some, some wise words for, she always talks about, um, you know, getting away from being such a producer, productivity is the enemy. Like, can we remember that we have worth, whether we're producing or not, and rest in it for a second? Can we rest for a minute um, without any guilt? I think that tumultuousness in the world often makes us, especially high performers, feel like that we have to keep scrambling to to do something, to make something of it, to fix something, and it's just not sustainable. And I think that's what a lot of the compassion fatigue has come from. And like Shoma Shaha said a couple of weeks ago, of course we have compassion fatigue. We're dealing with a short term, um, uh, we're dealing with a pandemic, an acute pandemic on top of a global chronic endemic of racism and discrimination. And, and we're dealing with them at the same time. And that's really hard. Mm-hmm. So like, 
how can we cut ourselves some slack and realize that producing may not be the most important thing that we're doing right now. Right. Um, so those are the conversations that we've been having as a team at Wolcova. That's absolutely wonderful. I, I, I cannot express enough my um, belief too that finding your team is, is always going to be the most important step that anyone can take. And that isn't just in our field. I mean, that's across the board. That's how we get through these days. And we all know deeply the value of social connectedness. But I think the COVID's allowed us to assess the need for pausing and breathing. And like, like Maggie points out, like, don't worry about being productive. That's not what we're, that's not what we're here for. We're here. So take a rest, take a pause, breathe and enjoy what you can do to, to make yourself feel better and thrive and get through these times. So I, I echo and appreciate those sentiments and thank you for sharing that. And thank you again for this entire conversation and all the different avenues we went down. I, I know I told you I intentionally did not build an agenda for today because I wanted us to just jump on and drive through these issues and get to a point where we um, could offer some, some insight into the, what, what we see in the people we're working with and the groups we're working with and, and the, the values that we want to hold to and, and get through this period together and look forward to a better tomorrow. So oh, thank you again. <laughs> thank you, Derek. Yeah, this has been great. I, um, I, I love just being able to, I mean, I know we're recording a podcast, but it's like, this is connection, right? Mm-hmm. That was the conversation we've had today. And it definitely um, always fills me up to have um, similar souls and similar minds. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. And, and yeah, it's, it's good. I know I, I often joke to a couple of other friends I know that do different podcasts and in different areas, but we all joke that we set up our podcast as really kind of our therapy so that we can talk to people that build us up and help us get through these things too. Cause both, both of us are still practitioners and we're still building things. So while we love the, having the conversation, we're both going and we both walk away with the same thoughts that hopefully listeners too are thinking about. So, okay, now how can I apply what I just learned and make myself better, make the people around me better, my organization better. So thank you for your time. And we'll have to chat soon again here after we get through a little more of your Wakala Connect and see how things are going and hopefully build up to your conference in San Diego next year. I look forward to it. Let's get it on the calendar. Thank you, Derek. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) 